Learning Scripture, Knowing Christ. Welcome to the Hashtag One Fear Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Hashtag One Fear Podcast. Today, uh, we, we've been away for a while, so today is the first episode of year three of the Hashtag One Fear Podcast. Isn't that exciting? Yay! Yeah, I, I wish we could have celebrated in the... Uh, I think the anniversary is March 1st. It's the 1st of March. That was the first time we had our uh, our first episode of release. So um, it, I, I was disappointed. I was sad. He but had I, the sads. I had the sads. But I was actually... I, like, I look back and I'm like, yeah, that rest was <laughs> very beneficial. <laughs> but now, to, but now, time to pick it back up. Yeah, picking it back up. Uh, and we've we've mentioned here and there a couple things that we were going to do, and uh, some things fell through. Um, we're not really, maybe they didn't fall through. They just it's kind of yeah, yet. they just haven't happened yet, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, today we're going to talk about Joshua. We're going to do like an intro to Joshua, and. Other episodes we're going to be doing in the future, uh, one on prayer and why or why not prayer is answered and stuff like that. Uh, we have some other things lined up as well that when we get there, you'll find out what they are. <laughs> we'll find out. What they yeah, are. we'll find out too, I guess. Um, but yeah, so we I did an extensive study on Joshua. And one of the reasons being is because there's some content in Joshua that, especially in modern understanding, we would think is completely ungodly, unbiblical, unscriptural, and uh, ethically and morally bad. Wouldn't you say? Yes. (laughs) Yes, they can't hear your nods. You have to talk. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, it's... Uh, we're going to get into what some of those things are um, but and bring in some questions and try to answer them as best as we can and do that. But uh, before we do that, let's, uh, let me, uh, these will be in the notes, uh, but some of the books that I studied from, uh, commentaries, uh, of course, the NIV application commentary, I can't not read those when I study a, <laughs> a book of the Bible. Uh, but the one on Joshua by Robert L. Hubbard Jr., I uh, read that one. The uh, commentary on Joshua uh, from uh, written by James Montgomery Boyce, uh, an exponential, expositional commentary. That's a tongue twister for some reason. Uh, and by Jerome F.D. Creech, uh, Interpretation on Joshua. And some uh, two other books that I refer to uh, is by Walton and Walton, The Lost World of the Israelite Conquest. Now, if you've ever heard about The Lost World, I'm not talking about Jurassic Park. (laughs) Um, uh, There's a series that Walton, uh, John and uh, his son Harvey Walton wrote, one of them is, that I used for my class was The Lost World of Scripture, I think is what it was called. But they have like five, six of them or something like that. I've read them all and I love them all. Uh, I've used them before, I think when we talked about the flood. or so, I think we talked about the flood. I don't know. Uh, but We did. Uh, did we do that one with the kids? We might have. I'm going to know. Yeah. Yeah. 
anyway, so yeah, that was one. And then I stumbled across a another book called The Destruction of the Canaanites uh, by Charlie Trim. And those two really go into, obviously, the conquest uh, that happens in, in Joshua and is uh, kind of like, hey, you're, God said, go do this uh, in the Torah, in, in uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy. But he, uh, these two books, they're very good f- for the point of view that they have. They, ha- they have different, not controversial, uh, not opposing or anything, uh, especially the one by Charlie Trim. It, it really gives a, a lot of different points of view. And he's, it sounds like he's more bipartisan. Like he doesn't say, this is what this is, black and white. It's kind of like, hey, here are all the things uh, that that is presented in scripture and how it's interpreted. So those are the, the how many do I have here? Five? Yeah, five books that I refer to, a couple things online. Uh, but those will be, if you're interested in reading them, uh, they'll be in the info on this episode. Uh, Danielle, you were reading through Joshua too, right? Yeah, and actually on my final day are for you? chapters 22, 23. Yeah, you're 24. doing, a, is it a yearly read or it's is it just a... year-long chronological. Um, there's a reading plan on the on version. Mm-hmm that goes along with a podcast where she does like a a five to ten minute kind of breakdown of everything you read. But then there's a book you can also buy to do along with it, which I've not been as good with that. But <laughs> um yeah, so there's actually like this whole kind of like little community that you could connect with to do it That's too cool. if you wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's the, what is that book called? It's a, the blue one with the it's white It's called The right? Bible Recap by, um, Bible Recap. Tara okay. Lee Cobble. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Our friend Roz gifted that to you, right? Yeah. Cause I was at her house yeah. and I was like, Hey, I'm doing this too. And I get home and like two days later, it's yeah. on my front porch. <laughs> Thank you, Roz. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So we're going to jump into a... Uh, a walkthrough of Joshua. So here we go. go. All right. So I'm going to give a quick outline. Well, not a quick outline. The whole <laughs> the whole episode is going to be an outline. And as we go through this outline, we're going to stop at different parts of it because Joshua is a, it's 24 chapters long. Uh, you know, in the Bible, that could be like half of half the book, or it could be like two pages long. But uh, Joshua is jam-packed with a lot of stuff. The majority of it is like... Genealogical it, well, and geographical. Not geographical, not, not really genealogy, uh, like Leviticus and stuff like that. But it's... Uh, a lot of the stuff is repeated too when it comes to the conquests and uh, division of the land, it's the distribution of the inheritance and all that. But yeah. uh, there are some subtle things here and there that you could very quickly, very easily just gloss over and completely miss it. So we're gonna we want to look at those couple things as we go through this outline. Now Joshua could be split up into two sections, uh, chapters one through twelve, the conquest of Canaan. And then 13 through 24, the settlement of the Israelites, in, obviously, in the land that they, uh, that they conquered. 
Uh, now, we're going to focus on the first part first, chapters 1 through 12. Uh, chapters 1 through 5, verse 12, is the preparations and crossing of the Jordan. And there's a lot of very familiar stories in that section, uh, chapter, chapters 1 through 5, basically. Um, and a lot of it is, hey, fear not. Chapter one, uh, obviously, like who has, <clears throat> who hasn't preached from that? Who hasn't heard a sermon <laughs> from that? Uh, fear not, you know, like j- just follow what the Lord has to say, and uh, we're, more on that. Okay, uh, then chapters t- five through twelve is the conquest, and we come across a couple things that are kind of iffy and also very confusing. Uh, one of which is Jericho. And the whole thing with Jericho, when the Israelite spies go in, where's the first place that they go to? Maybe not the first, but, you know, they end up going to a a prostitute. Rahab. Rahab. And uh, as a Christian, we're reading this book, and it's like, okay, they're they're doing this conquest. They're going to take over Jericho and eventually all of the land of Canaan. And they go to this prostitute. And it's kind of like, wait a minute, this is the Bible. Why are the Israelites going there? And uh, they kind of... the least of the bad things uh, that they did. Yeah, probably. Um, But we have to bring it to question, like, what is going on here? And there's actually some humor within this, (laughs) within the whole uh, dialogue that they have with Rahab. And really, Rahab is an absolute genius because she catches them in their own scheme. Like, hey, we know she knows what she's doing. She knows what's going on. Israel is renowned. So she's like, well, I know who you are, so I'm going to use that to my advantage. And she makes them promise, and they cannot break a promise, okay? You know, today we think like, oh, yeah, it's a promise. Eh, well, they'll get over it. You know, it's not that big of a deal. But in, in this culture, it was like, if you broke a promise, you might as well uh, just, just bring yourself to prison, <laughs> you know, lock yourself up, uh, you know, become that, uh, that servant to the person that you broke the promise to. But uh, pr- uh, promises were a big, big deal. So they, were, they swore to her that her family would be protected. So she tricks them into making sure that her and her family, whoever's in that house, is safe when they come in. Uh, Now, that brings up the question of what's going on during this time of uh, of the conquest. And there's some, you know, in the Hebrew, you don't see it in the English. In the Hebrew, it's called the Hiram. And when you start looking at what the Hiram is, it's... Like, at first thought, you think of, like, oh, it's like holy war, or like it's jihad, or it's something like that. In our Bibles, it has the footnote of this word, is this Hebrew word, uh, is uh, the devoted things, or the stuff that is completely uh, given over to the Lord. I think footnotes read, the Hebrew term refers to irrevocable giving over of things. Oh. Irrevocable, Yeah. Um, so uh, the two books on the conquest that I wrote, uh, that I read, had to uh, had to focus on this a lot, but it took it took a lot to <laughs> to get to some sort of a conclusion. And uh, even then, like the the conclusion I come to 
is that the uh, Hiram has to do with the identity and maintaining and keeping the identity the way it should be. If Israel is supposed to be uh, God's people, you know, and and they're supposed to reflect that, that needs to be maintained, and things cannot be uh, changed or anything like that. All right, so the where else does this word Hiram show up? And I want to bring out a couple of things, because a lot of what we understand from Joshua is that the devoted things, uh, the Hiram, are you go in and you kill everything in the name of the Lord. And, and really, that's not not exactly what that means. Uh, and it can't mean that, because what happens with Rahab? Yeah. yeah she She's given the promise, like, yeah, you're going to be okay. So not only is she the part of the Hiram, but she's not killed. And her family survives. And she actually is a part of a promise, too. Um, so... Other places in in the Old Testament where this is uh, where this word comes up is in Micah seven two, and this is the funniest part. It's it's translated as nets, like fishing nets type nets. All right, Micah seven uh, verse two. It, it reads: "The faithful have been swept from the land; not one upright person remains. Everyone lies in wait to shed blood. They hunt each other with nets." All right, so it was. It's kind of like. These wicked people, because there's no righteous people in the land any longer, there are people that are lying in wait to shed blood. They have intention. They have a purpose. They, they want to accomplish something, and what they are doing to accomplish that is how it's translated is nets, but really the word is hiram. What they're doing is devoting their life. They're, they're devoting their every waking moment to do something along these lines of shedding blood, stealing, uh, taking advantage of other people. And uh, that's what's happening in Micah 7. The faithful have been swept away from the land. Not one upright person remains. So what are their purpose? What is their identity? Everyone lies in wait to shed blood. They hunt each other with nets. So they, they trap them. Their every purpose and every cause is to trap these people. Now... Another one is in, in uh, Ezekiel 44, verses 28 through 29. I am to be the only inheritance the priests have, uh, that the priests have. You are to give them no possessions in Israel. I will be their possession. They will eat the grain offerings, the sin offerings, and the guilt offerings, and everything in Israel devoted to the Lord will belong to them. So the word devoted there, every, everything in Israel devoted to the Lord will belong to them. That's the word Hiram again. Now, there it is, Hiram, nobody's being killed. <laughs> okay, so it's, it's very, uh, it's a very versatile word, versatile word. And what's happening here is what, what Ezekiel is talking about is, hey, this is what priests are supposed to be like. You know, uh, and it actually even comes up in Joshua as well, because when the uh, the Levi- the Levitical tribe, the Levite tribe, when they're given an inheritance, they're not given any land. They're actually dispersed throughout all the other tribal lands. So if there's a Levite, they're supposed to function in, in a different way. They're supposed to be distinctly the Levites. Now, this devoted to the Lord, uh, these items, everything 
that is that in Israel devoted to the Lord will belong to them. That is where things get iffy because if it's devoted irrevocably anyway to the Lord, what does that have to do with the Levites? And what that means is, well, the Levites are as well because if if the Lord has these things and it's irrevocable, it does not go to anything else or anyone else. What is the only way to have any function with them, but to also be devoted to the Lord? And that's the uh, that's basically the message of what Ezekiel is getting across in that section in, in uh, Ezekiel forty four. These priests are supposed to be also devoted to the Lord, and uh, as we find out in Ezekiel, uh, they really weren't, <laughs> and they should have been. All right, so uh, that brings us back to Joshua. And uh, we're looking at, uh, we look at Jericho, and then the next area that they take, the next city is Ai. And they are like, hey, let's go do this, and they get defeated. And it doesn't work. And they're like, well, what's going on? So back in Jericho, when everything was said and done, the devoted things that were said to be destroyed, irrevocably handed over to the Lord, that wasn't completely done. And someone took some stuff, Aiken, and now we're all Aiken. That's how I remember that. But anyway, uh, in Joshua seven thirteen, go consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There are devoted things, there's the word hirem, devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemy until you remove them. So... He takes from what was supposed to be devoted to the Lord without permission. He was not uh, in the right. You know, he wasn't within that identity of God's people. He took it upon himself to say, hey, you know what? I I think I'm going to keep this for me and my family. So what happens is they find out who it is uh, by drawing lots, and it falls on Achan. They take Achan. Hey, did you do this? And he said, Yeah. And he submits himself to the result, his own consequences, of breaking Hiram. And those consequences are uh, the death penalty. So after Achan is, is put to death, then they go back to war to, against I, and they win. And it harps back to this verse uh, in verse 13. These are, uh, there are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. All right? And that is huge in the book of Joshua, because in Joshua, there is a lot of, hey, you need to be careful, all right? So they lose against I, and then they win. Uh, and then uh, in chapters 9 through 12, the rest of the first half of the book, it goes into uh, Canaan proper, like they go into uh, the rest of Canaan and uh, they, they take over the southern and northern cities and kings, and then there's a summary. Uh, but it, in chapter 9 through 1027, there's Gibeon's trick and a rescue. And I think this is awesome. Gibeon is the only one that's like, uh, out of all the Canaanites, that's like, wow, this, this uh, nation of, of Israel and Yahweh, they're pretty wild. So let's go and tell them uh, that we're someone else, 
and and say, yeah, we want to be servants of you. We want to, we want to be protected by you. So then it comes about. Israel finds out once again they've been duped. All right, so Rahab does it, and now the Gibeonites do it, and they are like, you know what? We made a promise, man. Now we can't go against our promise. <laughs> like you guys tricked us. Come on. So uh, then what happens is like all these other nations, all the other uh, Canaanites are like, wait a minute, they're with them now. So they go and attack them and Israel finds out and they're like, wait a minute, we made a promise. We got to go back and protect them. So they do that. And that triggers the rest of the conquering of Canaan for the rest of the second half or first half. Good. Yeah. You have anything to add? I'm just having fun going through reading them. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm starting to lose my voice already. <clears throat> All right. So that brings us to the second half then, if you don't have anything to add. Right? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Chapters 13 through 24. Okay. Okay. Uh, so this, this section is kind of long. It's a little arduous, and it kind of repeats itself here and there. Uh, or at least seems like it. Uh, this is where the settlement of the Israelites happen, and the distribution of the inheritance, and chapters 13 through 19 is so long. That's the whole distribution of the inheritance of all the tribes of Israel. Um, what I want to point out is in chapter uh, chapters 20 and 21 are the cities of refuge and the Levite cities. And I, I guess... I already mentioned Levite cities, why they're dis, uh, dispersed all around, but I'll, I'll go into more detail about why. Uh, but for now, the cities of refuge in uh, chapter 20, and I think that is one of those awesome things where as uh, I, I like fantasy uh, genre type thing, you know, I like the, the medieval type kind of novels and stuff like that. Um, but I have always, I've had this dream to write a book based on, one of the cities of refuge. Uh, it, it maybe not like a spinoff of a Bible story, you know, that, nothing like that. I'll probably, I, I could make up names. <laughs> it doesn't, yeah, it, it, it just has one of those feels to it because the, the city of refuge is all about, hey, this person uh, accidentally killed another person. And the example that they have in Joshua is that they're outworking and the, they were cutting wood, and the axe head flies off, and it flies over and hits another person and accidentally kills them. So if there was a murder or a, or an accidental murder, uh, what would happen is that there's a uh, blood redeemer, uh, usually a relative, a brother or something, that would go after this person and basically get their vengeance. But really, it's, it's not about vengeance. It's about equalizing the the blood. So my family lost a member, so your family's going to lose a member as well. Um, they, so these cities of refuge were put in place. There were three on both sides of the Jordan River, and uh, each side. And they would be there for this person to run to for refuge so that they're not killed. Yo. Weren't there four? I think... I think, I, was, I think there's six. Okay, yeah, because when I was reading them, it was like um, like each tribe or 
nation almost seemed like it had a... Oh, it would be a lot more then. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember it saying, like, here's the one for Judah. Here's yeah. the one for... Well, maybe... I'm sure there were more than just four or six, but, those are but the- these are the most prominent ones, uh, especially for where they, lo- they were located to. Um, so anyway, they, they would run there, and they would find refuge there, and this person would not be allowed to kill them uh, until either they find out, like, yeah, they're guilty, it wasn't an accident, so they, they would hand them over, or, hey, this person isn't guilty of murder, so the blood redeemer cannot touch them. So basically, it's like run away so that there can be a trial, <laughs> you know, uh, before anything happens. Uh, now, what would happen is that if there's a residing priest in that area, if, that, if they, like, die of old age or something or, or whatever happens to them, you know, an accident, uh, war, you know, anything would happen. Uh, if they passed away, then that trial would not happen, and it was in, in the rule, the, like the law would say, then, then therefore that person would not be allowed to uh, draw their blood. Which is like, okay, there's no trial. What if they actually were guilty? And that's where I think a really good story would come in, like what, all, the, all the kind of uh, plot lines that could happen in a story like that. But anyway... Uh, that's what the city of refuge would be, and uh, stuff like that shows up in the Psalms too. Uh, like our God is a strong tower, a strong tower. Those who run into it are, are saved. You know, look at that language that that's in the Psalms, and then we go to the New Testament and we see uh, Christ as not just the uh, the shepherd, but the door. You know, like you go into the sheep pen. Yeah. That's your refuge. You know, we, it, when, when Christ calls his sheep and, we recognize, and the sheep recognize the shepherd's voice, they go into the gate, you know, and, and that's their place of refuge. That's where they're safe, kept safe. Uh, the Levite cities. So the Levites were supposed to serve as priests, and they are not priests yet. All right? They're just a tribe, Levite, and they're descendants of Aaron. And they eventually become the priestly line. And until then, they are just acting as Aaron, Aaron's heir, uh, the Levites. And they, they do things as a priestly line, you know, as, as a priestly people, but they were not given an office or anything like that until later on. And I think that's what is awesome about Joshua that they were not given an, off, an office or anything like that. They're given an area where they can serve. Now, it's not just any area, and the reason being is because all of Israel, all the 12 tribes in the half-tribe of Manasseh, they are all still Israelites. So therefore, the Levitical line had to be dispersed all over the place. So it's not just in one locale. Even though the, the temp, the, in, in the future, the temple would be only in one spot, uh, they would be dispersed all over so they can do their priestly duties elsewhere as well. Not the sacrifices and all that kind of stuff, but everything else. Because it had to be in the, te- the sacrifices had to be in the temple. Um, so that, that's awesome, I think. Um, then we get to chapter 22, and there's a controversy 
You know, everybody got their land. Everything was given to them. And uh, three tribes, well, two and a half tribes, uh, go back across the Jordan River where their inheritance was. And when they get there, they're like, we want to set up a reminder. So they build this uh, altar. And it was not for sacrifices, but the rest of Israel was like, oh my goodness, what are they doing? And it almost sounds like, well, they they built this altar because they're going to start serving other gods. And we just got rid of Canaan, and we have our own identity. We can't let that kind of thing happen. So let's go over and see what's going on. Now, the key thing there is they went over first to see what was going on. They didn't like, all right, fine. Well, I know we just ended war, but I guess we're going to have to go back and destroy our own kin. <laughs> you know, it wasn't anything like that. They first went and asked questions. And uh, I think today we can definitely glean from that. We need to stop assuming and start asking questions, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, so they explained it like, hey, we don't want to be forgotten as Israelites. All right, because we're going to be all the way over here on the other side of the Jordan while you guys have uh, your the the altar with you on this side on the other side of the of the uh, Jordan River. So we don't want to have anybody forget that. So they made this altar not for sacrifices, but to have everybody remember who they are. And I I'm convinced we need to be setting things up in our lives for people to remember and for ourselves to remember who we are. You know, our, as a Christian, how, how do you understand yourself as a Christian and how are other people understanding you as a Christian? Do they even know? You know? Um, and then that gets to Joshua's final speech, and the covenant renewal, it's kind of like, not a redo, but like, hey, let's just reemphasize what's going on. Uh, and, and that, you know, some scholars might be like, what? That's heresy. <laughs> and I'm going to explain why it, might, why it might sound like heresy, because of uh, different dispensations. Uh, if this is a renewal, it's a, it's a new dispensation. And as for myself, I'm not really into dispensationalism. Did I say that right? <laughs> um, I, I think these are covenants uh, that are renewed for a reason in time, for that time. I, I don't think it was like set up in time and going into the end time stuff and uh, eschatology of, hey, we're in the last, uh, we're the last one. I don't, like, I don't buy into that or anything. Uh, but as far as what this renewal is, it's not just a, another redo. It's not a new one. It's a re-emphasis of what has already been being taught. All right, so a covenant is made, and it's explained throughout the Torah. And that's why I understand Joshua's here as a further explanation of God's covenant with his people. And the covenant goes both ways. All right, so... That's the outline. Now, the theme, themes, in, or at least a theme I'm going to bring up, uh, is promises kept require diligence. And uh, in Joshua 1, like I said earlier, it's like, you know, do not fear. 
But I want to look at what else is being said. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful, emphasis on the be careful, to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Uh, and the next verse, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Then later on in Joshua chapter 22, uh, it's kind of like bookends in chapter one and then getting towards the end of, of the book. But be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. And then Joshua 23, 6, be very strong, be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. And then verse 11 in, in chapter 23, so be very careful to love the Lord your God. And I, I want to put a lot of emphasis. I'm going to read that one again. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. Like, have diligence. You know, if, uh, if there's promises and covenants and stuff like that being made, then there's something that we need to respond with, and that is with careful love. It's not just flippant. You know, it's uh, it's not reckless. <laughs> I had to throw that in there. I'm sorry. Uh, it's not a reckless love, okay? We need to be careful how we are loving God. And I, I, it's with diligence, all right? In Joshua 21, uh, verse 45, no one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. And then uh, in chapter 23, 14 through 15, now I am about to go the way uh, go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. But, in verse 15, just as all the good things the Lord your God has promised you have come to you, so he will bring on you all the evil things he has threatened until the Lord your God has destroyed you from this good land he has given you. We need to carefully love the Lord your God and not, and not in a fearful way or anything like that. It's, you know, yes, all of these promises are awesome and we should respond in a loving, uh, carefully love, loving way. But if we turn away from that. It's not because we're not being careful to love the Lord our God. It's because we're actually not at all loving our Lord. And he has promised that. You know, it's either life or it's death. And today, that is really hard to swallow. Because we are good people, and we're smart, and we we do nice things every once in a while, so that means that we should have the promising bless, promised blessings of God, and really that's just not how it goes. You know, you could do everything right, you could do everything perfectly. That doesn't mean God's going to bless you. 
what what means God's going to bless you is this. You ready? If he wants to. <laughs> you know? Um, but here's the thing. Every single promise has not failed, and it's been fulfilled. That's the kind of God that we serve. Why wouldn't you want to serve a God like that? These promises... I'm not gonna. I'm not going out there and saying like, "Hey, yeah, his promises are good." This isn't the, the prosperity gospel or anything like that. Because look what happens throughout Joshua. This isn't just like a year in the making. This is like a long, long time that they're at war with Canaan, and there were hiccups. There were mess ups. They they were duped. How many times throughout the twice throughout the book, and it was not easy. I'm sure when people died, they, their families were torn because of the, those kinds of things. So the promises of God are not a guarantee that you are going to be richly blessed with like all the riches of the world, and you're going to have the most beautiful, sexy wife or, or handsome, sexy husband or anything like that. You know, it's, these are the promises and yes, God fulfills his, his promises that he said he would do. And that's a God that I would like to serve because he's good on his word. So as Joshua 23, 11 states, so be very careful to love the Lord your God, not out of fear, but out of excitement that this is the kind of God that we serve. I was writing down what... Careful meant in all of those. Um, but then I put down careful to love, but then love in the New Testament, loving God in the New Testament is obeying him. I mean, I, yeah. I, I don't know the verse off the top of my head that says that, that to love the Lord your God is, is to obey. Yeah. And nobody likes the word obey. Yeah. It, we're in a rough time uh, because of things like that. We can't do. We can't be said that we're doing wrong. Yeah, no. you know that's not allowed. Um, and or anybody else being in charge. <coughs> wow, being in charge. Yeah. <laughs> of you. Your, your voice is starting to sound. Like <laughs> I do have a question. Whenever you're ready for questions. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I okay. did my spiel, so it's your turn. So when, <laughs> when I was reading. And I was going to ask you this question, but I'm just going to put you on the spot. Oh, so, good boy. In um, Joshua 10, well, for one thing, I cannot read the verse without hearing a knight's tale in my head. <laughs> um, though about Joshua speaking, it says, Joshua speaks to the Lord. Sun stands still, moon stands still. So for one thing, that's already weird wording to me because yeah, he says yeah. he says to the Lord, but then verse 12... or. Um, Verse 14 says that is the first and last time that God listened to a human being. And I just, like, it baffled me. And I reread it, and then I was like, I'm going to have to come back to that later. Yeah. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Um, So... Scholars think that that's that those couple lines were actually added uh, by the Deuteronomistic editors or however you say it. Um, now, it, it, let me backtrack a little bit. Joshua, when it was written, you can tell that there's a lot of 
uh, similarities in language from the book of Deuteronomy. Okay. All right. So like you, you go through the Torah, Genesis through Numbers, uh, and you're like, yeah, that's the Torah. Then you get to Deuteronomy and it's like, didn't I just read this? Because it's, it's already, it's like a mm-hmm. restatement and it's a re-emphasize of everything that's already been going on uh, with the law. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus quotes from mostly Deuteronomy anytime he speaks. Yeah. Um, so when it gets to this part, and uh, I'll, I'll read earlier, too, what's going on. This is part of the conquest, and uh, this is when they, after they save the Gibeonites, and they chase them down, uh, the, the enemy down from attacking the Gibeonites, uh, it reads in verse 12, On the day the Lord gave the uh, Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Ahajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. As it is written in the book of Jashar, the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. All right, so if you look at that, and I have the NIV pulled up, uh, but that part is written down as if it's a poem. Like in the Psalms, it's all like, you know, it's, it's broken down in different lines. Sun stands still over Gibeon. All right, so that's, that's saying, hey, what's going on? They're, they went out to protect Gibeon because that is the promise that they made. All right, so they're fulfilling the promise that they, they made, a reflection of the, of the characteristics of God. Okay, so that's key right there. And you, moon, over the valley of Ajalon. Uh, so the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on the enemies. Now, this line, as it is written in the book of Jashar, not sure where that is. I don't know if any, I don't, I forget if anybody's found that or anything like that. But anyway, uh, as it's written in the book of Jashar, the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. So not only is it by eyewitnesses, but it's also relayed through this book that somebody wrote down about the event. All right. So let's go back to verse 12. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel. All right. It's, it hasn't happened yet. We're, we're just identifying when, when this was happening. It was on the day that Israel took over the Amorites. Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel. All right. So uh, then he says, hey, have it stand still and so we can do this. And it does. Verse 14, there has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Now take note that he says it in the midst of Israel. He's not just like, hey, God, I need you. I need this favor. I need you to do this. Please do it for me. He's not like begging or anything. He's making this declaration, not not commanding. He's making a declaration that this is who the God is, that this is the God that they serve. And it would be a witness to the rest of the Israelites that, yes, God is capable, very capable of doing things. And uh, that's why there's never been a day <laughs> since then that the Lord listened to a human being. It's kind of like uh, when 
uh, a kid comes up to their parent and is like, hey, watch this. I'm about to do this. Okay. And the parent stops and is like, everyone, wait. Stop everything that you're doing and watch my kid. And they probably do something silly <laughs> like, our, like ours do. Uh, but then they witness, yeah, your kid is so much like you. Oh, my gosh. Like, that is totally you. And that's the kind of thing that's happening here. Everybody was able to witness that, yeah, they're a reflection of who God is. And God is very good on his promises. He can avenge the, the Gimeonites, and he is able to do it in ways that are spectacular. Now, there's other parts, too, uh, where God actually uses, like, sends down meteorites or something like that, or, like, hailstone. I forget where that, where that was. And I think it was around then. See, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, here, I'm sorry, here it is. Uh, in verse 11, as they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah, uh, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. I'm like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> um, so when I think of the word listen, I, I don't know, this, I've never really thought about it deeply. <laughs> Like, I guess it's just between like hearing and listening. Um, but the definition for this verse makes sense in, in the sense of like, of the, de the declaration type thing, because it's to hear, listen, or obey, to be heard, to summon, or to call together, or to proclaim and summon. So it was like Joshua was summoning God. And it was yeah. the only time God has ever listened to a human being yeah. when he was like, so that makes more sense because my mind automatically went to, okay, well, like, what about when Gideon said, well, God, can you put the, the dew thing. on the fleece? Yeah. <laughs> like, or these things where God has listened or, you know, when Lot says, if you find even 10 righteous people, you know what I mean? Like these different things yeah. where God listened, but they weren't summoning yeah. Or commanding him. Yeah. And so and, and, that's a huge difference. Yeah. And and another thing too, Joshua is Moses' replacement, basically. And uh it throughout Joshua, he's he's mentioned as that as well. The only difference is that I a lot, especially in the in Jewish understanding, he is not the equivalent to Moses because Moses pen down the the uh the torah oh, he's yeah. re he's the representation of the law of moses in the new testament as uh elijah is the representation of the prophets in I the transfiguration that it's called the law of moses he wrote it down but he got it from god yeah <laughs> yeah like the guy took a rap and, for like... and it's like here are the ten commandments that i wrote down on these tablets for you yeah. And then he breaks them. <laughs> it's like, you're writing it on your own this time. <laughs> yeah, well, technically they should have, because isn't writing on repetition a way for people to remember things? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, because weren't they then put in the Ark of the Covenant? I'd be like, sorry, Moses, I haven't looked at them in a long time. I don't remember what they say. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but that was my big Joshua takeaway, because it's like a story you know in passing. 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, the I've noticed the second half of the book, it's been a little rough for me. It's actually been more <laughs> rough than than the Torah was. Like when I hit Leviticus and all that, that actually was more interesting to me at this point in my life. The second half of Joshua yeah. is all about this. these people are the ones who inherited... This, this land. land, and I'm like, it's I like, don't. I can't. Where's the map? <laughs> like, I go back to the front where usually yeah. they are in, in a novel. <laughs> but I was like, I can't say half of these things. I yeah. don't remember who was going where. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so the uh, last couple verses in in Joshua is the burial of Joshua, mm-hmm. Joseph, and Eleazar. Um, I haven't gotten there yet. Don't uh, ruin it. For well, me. I'm about to. <laughs> Uh, so, wow. so Joshua makes sense. Eleazar makes sense, but Joshua right in the middle of the two is really weird. Joseph? No, jo- uh, jo- Joseph. Like the bones of Joseph. The, the bones of Joseph. The, the, because the he was yes. never, and this is where the promises come in oh, and yeah. are fulfilled. This is awesome. Like yeah. how many, how many generations, how many decades have gone by since the... Exodus with Moses, where they took Joseph's bones out of there and carried them with them. And I want to know, where have they been this whole time? <laughs> Throughout the wandering, in uh, the 40 years of wandering, and then the other 40 years. What were the, um, the boxes that we just read a couple yeah. of things about? Yeah. What the heck are they called? Uh, what were they? Because uh, like ostuaries. No, uh, yeah. I thought that was a building. The ostuary no. was a building. No, that's a mortuary. Oh, yeah. That's, that's I'm pretty yeah. sure it's the ossuaries, yeah. and they're like the Something boxes, like and depending on whether you were wealthy or not or whatever, you know, is fancier. Yeah. yeah. But like, I wonder if that's what they would have carried his bones in. Yeah. And what would it look like, too? Because they came out of Egypt. Mm. Yeah. And he was high up in Egypt. He was very high up until he was not. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Yep. Things that make you go, hmm. Yeah. We should do an episode. <laughs> Things that make you go, hmm. That is not how it should be. <laughs> That's not how I was taught. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's a lot more in Joshua. Uh, so I encourage you to go through it, uh, pick up these books if you if you're interested. Uh, if you want any other resources, contact us and we'll find more. because uh, that's what we do. And uh read. Read scripture, and uh, if you're interested in Joshua, read it prayerfully, and uh, read it with questions in mind as well, because questions are okay. That's mm-hmm. what I've been doing throughout this whole thing. That's what I've been doing for years until I got to Joshua about the Hiram, uh, because I wanted to know, why is it okay? <laughs> you know, and, and, and to talk about the Hiram thing, like it's not, it's not a uh, closed question. There's no exact answer, uh, because even with the like, I I lean towards what uh, Walton and Walton write that it's more about the identity and maintaining that. Uh, that doesn't answer the question of what about the children of these areas. You know, uh, does it does it mean that the Israelites were like, okay, we'll devote these things, and they assumed that they should destroy absolutely everything. Uh, and putting even children to the sword. Um, and does it actually happen everywhere, too? I mean, because we have 
Rahab and the Gibeonites as evidence that it doesn't. Uh, so, yeah, read it with, with questions. Write down those questions. That's, that's how I do it. <laughs> you know, read through it. Before I go into an in-depth study of an entire book, what I do is read through it and write down questions for uh, whatever verse that comes up in, in questioning. So then when I get to that part, I refer back to the question and see if I can get some answers or anything that I can glean from those areas. Yeah, because don't they, the, whoever says it. <laughs> don't, Those people. Don't they say to like, read through the whole book one time, mm-hmm. like do nothing else, but just read it. Or a couple times in a, yeah. diff- a couple different translations. Yeah. yeah. But like, usually it's like, just read it. The first time through is not to be for like overthinking things or anything. It's more yeah. just read it through like you're reading just to a read book. It. Yep. I mean, like, I don't take notes on novels that I read. <laughs> um, and then from there, like then you go through more with the, the questioning yeah. mindset. Um, so what I did when, when I worked on my master, especially with, uh, with Amos, because I had a whole lot of questions with that, <laughs> with that book. Uh, but what I did, I did that. Yeah. Uh, but within three different translations, I, th- I believe, I yeah. think I did. Um, so I read through them in those three uh, one each on their own. I didn't do like chapter one with all three. I did like one translation first. Then I sat down and was like, okay, what kind of an outline? How can I break this down into what's being, uh, what's being taught? So it, like for Amos, for example, uh, the, the opening and it was the, uh, what's going on with the four nations and then there's a, a very distinct section with, you know, everything else is going to be uh, on Israel. Uh, so anyway, it, it, so Joshua, like what I did, I split it up into two. I, I see a distinct thing of what's happening. They went to conquer, and then they divided the inheritance. So like, notice those kinds of things. Like, where are there different breaks? Where is this flow of things that's going on in the book? Then the third time of reading through it, that's when is a good idea to write down questions. Now, if you have a question, we're not saying no, don't write it down. <laughs> no. But sometimes yeah, but, it's easier. But to sometimes just... it is easier just to, you know, get a feel for the whole, whole yeah. entire book. Yeah. What has stand, stood and not just questions about like I don't understand this, uh even write down statements like, you know what? I don't I didn't know that this was in the book of Joshua. You know, stuff yeah. like that. Uh so I'm not familiar with this. Or, hey, I know the story of Jericho through and through because I've heard it so many times in children's church. And I bet you and, you still miss something. And it, so, that, and that's the question. Mm-hmm. What is it that I might have missed? Yeah. And when I read through it, I was like, wow, the Israelites got duped. <laughs> like, they got tricked so well, easily. We remember, like, the VeggieTale version. Yeah, and- yeah. Which they, you know, they put a little bit of Monty Python in on that one because they're yelling <laughs> insults from the top of the wall. But like, I, I don't, I don't remember anything deeper than, you know, b- to mar- march around and blow the the horn. And even then, I think sometimes they get the numbers wrong because like when I think back to learning about a lot of things in the Bible, like the even Noah's Ark, you know, take take a pair. No, it's seven pairs because if you're waiting yeah. for the animal population to repopulate yeah, from one you're gonna couple, be hungry. <laughs> um, but like growing up or any picture depiction yeah just two 
Yeah, and, and like, they usually have button eyes. Yeah. It's like <laughs> when you get older, you're like, oh, the Bible makes more sense than what I was taught. <laughs> yeah. Another, actually, another thing I picked up on is in preparation to go into war against Jericho, you know what they did? Circumcise all the males. How dumb is that? Like, that is not good military tactics. Cause and you're they didn't have ice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights. Oh Went, uh, yeah, just put ice on it. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it's like they cross the Jordan and then do that. And it's like their enemy is right over there. Mm-hmm. So if they knew what was going on, like they would have been destroyed. Be their time to swoop. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that uh, tangent. Yeah. So anything, should we do takeaways? Nope. <laughs> We're good. Well, you kind of already gave one when yeah, you said the, like read, the promise, ask questions. Yeah. And, and, and going back to the promises, like yeah. we need to know the promises so we can yeah. take advantage of them, <laughs> you know? Within within reason, yeah. like See, like I said, it's not the no my, the prosperity gospel or anything. My but. issue is like I've heard the word promise used over so many things. Yeah, where it's like, yes, I'm not Pro- denying promises of God, yeah. but you cannot say you can't claim everything that God said yeah. that sounded good as a promise. Promises is not promises in Scripture is not a synonym for yeah. guarantee. And I, I also feel like some of his promises should point us to thankfulness. Yeah. At, at the very least. Or, or like I said, for this one, diligence. Yeah. So yeah. like it points you to that. It points you to giving glory because when, when I think, oh my gosh, he promised to never flood the earth again and I need to be real thankful because I'm pretty sure he would have done it many times between yeah. then and now. <laughs> yep. But like it should, it should um, make you realize I looked things. out. I looked out in my backyard and I was like, yeah. I hope I see a, a rainbow soon. <laughs> well, like, because when you think about it, so many people claim the promises, and I I don't get the feeling of, um, not that they're not appreciative, but it's it's more like a, you get to the point where God loves us so much, so that's why he promised us these things. Like, yeah. yes, he loves us, but no, he promised you that because you deserve something worse. Yeah. And take note, some of these promises are because of God's grace and his mercy. Other promises throughout scripture are for those specific people in this in scripture. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I think that's a big, big one. Because I've been I've been told before, you know, well, you brought up uh Gideon and, and the fleece. Yeah. You know, just just put it out there like Gideon and this fleece. And I'm like, Dude, I've been putting things out there a lot, and I'm still, you know. No dew has no, fallen. No dew has been. Yeah, it's. Yeah, it's it's a little <laughs> too much of God can do it, and we believe He can do it. But in that same thing of yeah, with Joshua when he said, when he basically commanded God, no, He has not listened to any human since. Yeah, it, and I think we need to take this into consideration. Do we need to see a specific promise fulfilled to believe God? Or can we just trust and believe in God because what scripture has revealed? And believe he is who he says he is. Yeah. And yeah. Because I do think that sometimes yeah. our disappointment and discontent <coughs> or anger or confusion yeah. comes from the uh, miscommunication. Of not of scripture, but of scripture by others. Yeah. Um, because there's so many times where I'm like, well, 
this is what these people say scripture says. Presuppositions. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I might not like what God has for me or doesn't have for me, but I've gotten discontent because I feel like somewhere along the way, yeah. He's withholding from me. It's like, well, Job got everything double in his at the end of his life after everything. And I'm thinking, yeah, well, um, Judas also went out and hung himself. <laughs> so, well, it, like it, it is one of those you can't take all the the pretty things and say, yeah. look, this is everything that God wants for me and does for me. I think it was Frank Turek that even said that. Like, yeah. well, wait a minute, you want to take that verse, but what about ten verses later? That's also like a, a promise, but it's like yeah. all of you are going to die. Well, like, yeah, like <laughs> like this verse in in Joshua, like there's promises yeah. that are great, but there are also ones that if you deter away from them, mm-hmm. the consequences are not good. Yeah. Would you rather God as your God to serve, mm-hmm. or would you rather God as not your God but your enemy? So in that case, technically, it is a promise. That if you don't um, believe on the Lord as your as your Savior and as your God, it is a promise you will not be with Him. I mean, yeah. it is a promise that He is the only way to God. Yeah. So, like, you might not look at it as a promise, but like, hey, most people don't want to hear this is it. Yeah. I don't know. Like, that's yeah. not that's not preached about a whole lot. Uh, because there's not enough crying rooms in churches, that's why. Or safety rooms, whatever they're called nowadays. It's changed. Whatever. I do have to say, <laughs> talking to a friend, and we were talking about the nursing room at our old church, I said, that was the best kept secret in that church. <laughs> like, I loved that room. But it was, it was kind of like that. It was like the, you could escape to nurse your baby or take a nap and nobody would know you were there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but like that's what I think of when I think of like you need a room that nobody knows about in the dark. <laughs> Go work this out with God. Yeah. All right. It's good. We like the conversation. It's good. All right. So nice that we like uh, to talk to each other. Yeah. Well, we do it so much. N- right, what? <laughs> Not as much as Not our as children much. talk yeah. at us. <laughs> yeah. And yes, it's I said like, talk at because I hardly ever get to say anything in response. I I'm still trying to understand what what the little ones say, so <laughs> I'm like self interpret and oh yeah, that, that's fine. They can have a lollipop or a cookie, whatever. <laughs> yeah, uh, but thanks for listening to this episode uh, walkthrough of Joshua, and uh, hopefully we're, we'll do another in depth study on another book. And uh, I was thinking doing uh, Galatians next. Hmm. Yeah, because that's a little smaller too, and we can get to it. Uh, but we have some. We could do third John. Uh, I already did the Johns. Okay. Uh, second John is the shorter. I I know what you mean. Yeah. Second John is the shorter. One page. Yeah. Philemon. 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 Which is funny. Okay, no, we're getting we're getting off on tangents. Let's end this episode. And then go <laughs> so, on our tangents. Um. So thanks for listening. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, and or <clears throat> concerns, uh, you can contact us by email at contact at onefear.net, or you can contact us on our Facebook. Uh, is it a group? We have a group one, but it's like our page, Facebook page. Yeah. yeah. And all that information to do so, and our website uh, info is in the info of this episode that you can get. So... 
Thanks for listening. Without further ado, live. Live. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I said that wrong. Didn't I? You know what? Just live live such such good good lives. lives. (laughs) 